0: Good morning. Uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to see you all. Um, why don't we go ahead and pray? And I'm going to go ahead and pray. Um, and then and then you can also go ahead and pray. So, Lord, uh, we just thank You for the opportunity uh, that we have together here, together this morning as a body of believers and to, to worship You and to hear from Your Word. Um, Lord, I pray uh, that You would uh, speak through me, and that, that I would speak clearly uh, from the material that I've prepared, and that it would be Your words, Lord, not my own, um, that You would have us here this morning. And, and then just take a moment, um, and you can prepare your own hearts, <clears throat> excuse me, you can prepare your own hearts uh, to hear from the Lord this morning, and, and and yourself, you can pray for me as well. All right, Amen. Thank you. So, uh, I'm going to share a story uh, here briefly, I think. Um, and it's a story about me in as much as I am a character in the story, but it's not a story about me. This is a story um, about uh, God and the Holy Spirit working in my life and in my heart to enable me to do something, to enable me to behave a certain way. So, um, now I'm also quite, I'm going to describe, th- th- there's a restaurant chain in America uh, that I'm going to describe to you, and, and I realize that this is a very American institution. So this restaurant is a sports bar uh, and also a family restaurant. And the gimmick at this restaurant is that they hire women that are young, attractive women, and they dress them in clothes that are just way too tight and way too short. And these women, they come out, and they take your order, and then they serve you your food. That's the gimmick. And that's what people talk about at this restaurant. Nobody, I've not ever heard anybody mention the food there before. Um, but that's, that's the deal with this restaurant. Um, and, and, I, and I realize that that does sound really, really American. Um, but it's, 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 it's true that this place, this restaurant really exists, and it's all over the place. So what does this have to do with me? Well, when I worked as a mechanic, I would get sent out on road trips a lot um, and be, because I was, I was good at it in, in, in terms I was able to be prepared. Um, to, to think outside the box and to be prepared for contingencies on the aircraft that we were going to work on. And so I would get sent on these trips a lot, and I got sent out on the trip, these road trips with a lot of different people. And and part of the deal is when you're on a work trip, you get to, you, you know, you're staying in a hotel and you're going out to restaurants. And it turned out uh, that what, one of the things that happened at my company that I worked for is I became quite famous for not going to eat at this restaurant. Because when you got a bunch of lads that are out on a work trip, this is where they want to go eat. And I don't even really know how it started, but I do remember I was off on a long trip one time, I was gone for about six weeks, and when I came back to the shop and I went into work, that is the only thing that people wanted to talk to me about. Was why won't you go and eat at this restaurant? And uh, for some people, they never got it. There, in one guy in particular, um, never understood and uh, why I wouldn't eat at this restaurant. Why I wouldn't, you know, go into this establishment. Um, but I had decided, you know, for myself, I had made the decision that um, as a Christian man who does find women to be attractive, I decided. I didn't need to go to this place and fill my head with this kind of thing, with this kind of imagery. Um, aside from all the other weirdness that goes along with this, the fact that this restaurant even exists. Um, but that's not something that I wanted to do. Um, and, so, and so I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go. Um, and some people that I worked with, though, the longer this went on, the longer I would go out on these trips and come back and the, whoever went out with me, yeah, he wouldn't go. Um, what people started to tell me and they started to realize is like I had a few people that would say, hey, you know what, I actually think it's really neat or it's really interesting that the way that you're acting about this is actually in line with what you say you believe. Because people at work knew that I'm, no, knew, I don't work there anymore, they knew that I was a Christian because that's what I talked about. I talked about church stuff, I talked about the youth club that I worked with, and so people knew where I stood with the church, with God, with the Bible, and then seeing this play out, some of the people could see, oh, what he's doing in his behavior is in line with what he says he believes about God, or what he says he believes about values and morals. So, I counted that as a small win, Uh, That some people actually recognize this. And what we're talking about today is whether or not our actions are in line with what we say we believe. So last week when we looked at uh, the previous passage with Will, the end of Titus chapter 1, what we were looking at is we, we saw who these false teachers in Crete are what it is they are and are not teaching. And here in verse 1 of chapter 2, what we're going to see is that Titus is set apart by Paul in contrast to these false teachers. In verse 1, Paul says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. In the previous section, what Paul tells us about the false teachers is that they're insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, teaching what they ought not teach, and that they've turned away from the truth. But as for you, Titus, you are to teach what accords with sound doctrine. So Paul is taking Titus, who's also a teacher, and he's distinguishing Titus from the false teachers. But as for you, and he's telling us what Titus will be teaching is something entirely different. And what is it that Titus will teach? Well, it says it right there. Titus will will teach what accords with sound doctrine. So, what accords with sound doctrine? Or we could ask it as a question, what accords with sound doctrine? Now, let's remember, accords with, or accordance means something that corresponds. And the sound doctrine that Paul is speaking of, what is that? Well, if we go back to the beginning of the letter and look in verse 1 of chapter 1, we see that Paul was talking about the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. So, here what we're looking at today, Titus will teach what corresponds with sound doctrine, and back at the beginning of the letter, we see that godliness corresponds with knowledge of the truth. So, this helps us to see Paul's charge to Titus is teach what corresponds with sound doctrine. And now we ask it again as a question, what corresponds with sound doctrine? Godliness, godly behavior. And what is sound doctrine? It's the message of the gospel. So Titus is to teach godly behavior that corresponds with the message of the gospel. And this sets him and his mission apart from the false teachers he's been sent to rebuke and replace with elders. Titus isn't teaching what he ought not teach. His teaching corresponds with the message of the gospel, the knowledge of the truth, sound doctrine. So, if we remember, there are two problems that are going on in the Cretan churches. One problem, false teachers. Second problem, Christians that are not living their lives as Christians. The last couple weeks... We've looked at some of the issues to do with the false teachers. And now we're going to get into the second concern, that of Christian behavior, which Paul's charge to Titus, one, gives us an example of what the opposite of false teaching is, and two, it works towards correcting ungodly behavior by teaching godly behavior. And this is what the rest of this section is about— if we look at chapter 2, verses 2 through 10, um, what we're going to see is Titus teaching these godly behaviors. And one of the first things we notice is that Paul is addressing five different groups of people. Mostly, he's divided them up by age and gender. We have older men, and we have older women. We have younger women, we have younger men, and we have bond servants or slaves, depending on what your Bible says, bondservants or slaves. We can, we can see that interchangeably. So what we're looking at here with this breakdown of people, of older men, older women, younger women, younger men, bondservants and slaves, what we're looking at is a first century Roman household. This is the group that Paul is addressing. Another thing that we can observe about this section is if we were to take all the different godly behaviors that are listed or that Paul writes about, and if we were to compile all those behaviors into a list, and then look at that list, what we might think, it might seem like this list isn't complete. Because we have all these behaviors listed, but what about joy? Joy's not one of the ones that's listed, or patience, or gentleness. We could also ask, why is it that Older men must be sober minded, and older women must not be uh, slaves to much wine. But this isn't asked of younger men and younger women. So, is drunkenness okay if you're younger? So, it's correct to observe that this is not a complete list of behaviors. Instead, this letter and this list was written for a purpose to a specific group of people in a specific situation, and the behaviors Paul writes about here address the specific circumstances of these people. So what I mean is, I can't take this list Find my place on it, okay, older men, read off the behaviors. say, okay, check, did that one, check, did that one, check, did that one, all right, I'm ready to move along. If I treat this as like a checklist of things that I do and don't do, I'm going to miss some stuff, all right? And so, also, what I'm not saying, let's not be confused, I'm not saying this isn't a list of godly behaviors, and I'm not saying that these behaviors aren't important, Or I'm I'm not saying that this doesn't even apply. This is a list of godly behaviors. These are good godly behaviors. They do apply. Um, And we should strive to attain to them. But what I'm saying is that this isn't a complete list of every godly behavior. Another thing to note about what we see here in verses 2 through 10 is that there are some things that might be very hard for us to understand. Or maybe that, well, yes, something that we don't, that's hard to understand. Um, and, And what I'm specifically referring to are men's and women's roles and the relationship between husbands and wives. And that is mentioned here. But it's not the main point of what Paul is writing about. It's not the primary concern. The way that husbands and wives relate to one another is a difficult topic and it's an important topic and it's important that we try to understand it. But if you focus on that right now in this passage, you're going to miss what Paul is getting at. So that's a discussion for another time. And if, so if you have questions, about this, if you have questions about husbands and wives and the way they relate to each other, or if you have a question about why I'm saying that this isn't the main point of the topic, please come talk to me afterwards or talk to Jason or one of the elders here today. But right now, we want to stay focused on what Paul is focused on. So bigger than a specific behavior or set of behaviors, what we can be thinking about here is Christian behavior in general and why it matters what behaviors Christians get up to. If we look at what Paul says in this section and we set aside the specifics of which people he's talking to, and we set aside the specific behaviors, what we're left with are Paul's reasonings or his reasons for why Christian behaviors matter. So, we're gonna break this down. If you're, if you're gonna follow along, open up your Bible and start putting your finger on stuff. Okay, so what we're going to look at in chapter 2 is we're going to look at verses 1, we're going to look at verse 5, 8, and 10. So I'm going to read them all together now, and you can follow along if you want, verses 1, 5, 8, and 10, starting in verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, verse 5, that the Word of God may not be reviled, verse 8 so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. And verse 10, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So, Paul gives three reasons here for his concern over Christian behavior. So, in verse 5, Paul's concern is that the Word of God may not be reviled. Reviled means to be attacked with abusive language. So, we can read verse 5 like this, But you, Titus, teach godly behavior that corresponds with the message of the gospel so that the Word of God may not be attacked with abusive language. And we can read verse 8. But you, Titus, teach godly behavior that corresponds with the message of the gospel so that those who are against us will have nothing evil to say about us. In verse 10... Uh, we have the word adorn, which means to, to lend beauty to or to make beautiful. And it's the, it's the word that you would use if you were describing a jeweler taking jewels or jewelry and arranging them on his table in a little display to make them attractive uh, to a prospective buyer. So, this is something that, uh, that makes beautiful. And so, we can read this as, but you, Titus, teach the godliness that corresponds with the gospel so that our people might make beautiful the message of the gospel to the people that they're surrounded by. See, Paul's concern isn't only for Cretan Christians that they live lives consistent with their faith. Paul is also concerned for those Cretans who don't know the Lord. And so, what we see here when what Paul is writing to Titus is that godly living proves the gospel message. Godly living proves the gospel message. What this means is the way I live outwardly confirms or denies to the people around me the truth of the transformation that has occurred to me inwardly because of the gospel message. Godly living proves the message of the gospel, and the same is true for you. This isn't just me. So, the way you live outwardly confirms or denies to the people around you the truth of the transformation that has occurred in you inwardly because of the gospel message. Godly living proves the message of the gospel. And it's not just me standing up here saying this. Paul says it too. Speaking from the passage last week, look at uh, chapter 1 verse 16. Paul, speaking of uh, speaking of the false teachers, he says, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. So we have false teachers running around Crete saying with their mouths that they know God, that they're Christians, but when you look at their actions, their actions don't line up. The actions and behaviors of the false teachers in Crete visibly demonstrate what is opposite the gospel message. So, godly living proves the gospel message, and the opposite is also true. Ungodly living denies the gospel message. Now, if you're here this morning, you probably came all the way in on a rainy day because you wanted to hear a long quote from a book. So, here you go. Inevitably, believers judge the gospel message by the lives of those who embrace it. And as we live and identify ourselves as Christians, we can make the gospel message attractive, incredible, or believable by our godly attitudes and behavior. However, if we are perceived as unloving and hypocritical, we provide believers with good reason to be skeptical about the power of the gospel. So, when we claim Christ or take the name of Christian, we are making a claim about the gospel message and the power of the gospel to change hearts and to change lives. We're making a claim that the gospel has the power to bring the spiritually dead to spiritual life. We're making a big claim, and the way that we live proves or denies this claim. When we talk about the gospel, we're making the claim that we were once dead, but through the forgiveness of sins, Jesus has made us alive, and the Holy Spirit has entered our hearts and washed us and renewed us. We have been changed on the inside a change that works its way out into our actions because it's not just that Jesus sacrifice delivers us delivers us from the penalty of death and eternal separation from God we are also being changed now here in this world as the holy spirit works in our hearts training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled godly lives today this is the claim that we're making But is it true? What I mean is, if it's true that godly living proves the gospel message, what does the way that you and I live tell the people around us about the power of the gospel to save and transform lives? Does my life say that the gospel is real? Does your life say that the gospel is real? So, what does this mean? Like today, for us in this room. Well, to start, when we are converted, that's not just the end, right? Uh, we don't just sit back and say, well, I've got my eternal life sorted. I guess I'll just wait this thing out. Right? That's not what we do. Because when Jesus left, before He went back to heaven, He gave us something to do, didn't He? In Mark sixteen fifteen. We see Jesus says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So, we're not just sitting here, riding out the clock, waiting for a shift to end. We have something to do. We're God's representatives here on earth, and we're supposed to share the good news of salvation with the people around us that don't know Him. So, what we've seen today, one of the things that we've seen today is that there's two parts to sharing the gospel message. There's the part where we say it, and we tell people about God and what He has done for us. And then there's the second part, the part where we show the gospel message in the way that we live. We tell people about the gospel message, and we live godly lives. And if we do this, we prove the gospel message is true. So now we can come back to this question again. If godly living proves or denies the gospel message, what does your life say about the gospel? Is there change that needs to occur in your life? Is there a part of your life that does not correspond with the gospel message? If godly living proves or denies the gospel message, what does your life say about the gospel and who Are you saying it to? Who are the people in your life? The people that you're around all the time, the people that are observing your life and observing what it is you believe about God and what it is you believe about the gospel and whether or not your life and the way that you live correspond to your identity as a Christian. These people around you, these are the primary relationships in your life. And these are different for all of us because some of, us, uh, some of us, you know, are, are married and we have children. Some of us are children. Some of us are single. Uh, some of us are older. Some of us are younger. Um, so, so, these primary relationships uh, are different for all of us. And so, for some of us, it could be a family member, this, this primary relationship that you're thinking of. Uh, or it could be a child. It could be a housemate. It could be somebody, somebody that, you, that you work with or somebody that you go to school with. So, who are, your, who are in your primary relationships? Now, imagine what these people might be learning about what you believe about the gospel through the way that you live. And which of your primary relationships aren't believers? Which, which of these people aren't Christians? Imagine what they might be learning about the gospel just through observation. So, godly living proves the message of the gospel, but it doesn't tell the gospel message. We want to be clear. Uh, We have to use our words for that. The way that we live doesn't tell about our need for a Savior because of our separation due to sin. It doesn't tell about Jesus' death and resurrection uh, so that we can have new life. We have to use our words to explain that. We have to use our words to explain that the Holy Spirit enters and cleanses and renews us. The words of the gospel message, the words of the gospel message tell the story, and then the actions of our lives prove it to be true. So imagine what could be going on in the minds of the people that you're surrounded with. Now back to my little story here from the beginning. Um, so there's this guy uh, that I used to work with. Uh, his name's Alex. Um, and Uh, Alex and I were thick as thieves. We were two peas in a pod. Uh, We were each other's work wives. Um, And and Alex is a Christian, uh, like in the real sense, right? And so we would meet and we would have lunch together and we would pray about things. We would, you know, challenge each other because we didn't come from the same kind of church background. And so sometimes we didn't have kind of the same beliefs about stuff. We would challenge each other. We would ask each other, what is God teaching you in Scripture? And so I've kept in touch with Alex uh, since, since, since I've left. So uh, I worked as a mechanic before, and in 2017, I quit my job um, because uh, my wife Denise and I were going to move to Ireland uh, to work in full-time ministry as missionaries. So, with all this other background that I told you about this other story, and people knowing uh, that, like I'm a I'm a church guy, uh, I actively participate in the church. I do certain things. There's other things that I don't do. And some of these people that I work with uh, are starting to pick up on, well, hey, at least he's consistent. Now remember, this story is not about me. I am a character in the story. This story is about the Holy Spirit and about God working in people's lives. So, anyways, uh, so it's back in the spring of 2017. Uh, and I go ahead and hand in my notice uh, that I'm quitting my job to go be a missionary, because people want to know where you're going next. Uh, And I thought that was it. Well, I'm back in America two years later in, in the spring of 2019, and Alex and I are meeting up, having a chat, and he tells me something very, very interesting that I could have never imagined. And that two years later, he is being asked about me and about what it is that I'm doing and why I quit my job to go work in a church in Ireland. Because it's unfathomable, it's unbelievable to walk away from a career like that. It just doesn't make sense to people that don't have the view of the world that we have. Or that I have. And so, because I had demonstrated consistency in one area of my life, it was an opportunity to talk about consistency in another area of my life that I wasn't even aware of. That for two years, my friend back at the company, while I'm gone, he is having opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to talk about God to talk about the gospel with all these people that I used to work with um, that are still, well, at least in 2019, uh, still ha- you know, struggling with this action that I took to walk away from a career. And so we don't know, again, this isn't about me and how great I am, please. We don't know how the actions that we take are viewed by the people around us. We don't know what kind of impact we're having. But if we know that godly living proves the gospel message, we at least have a direction to, you know, to move forward in, right? We have something, uh, we have a target to aim at so that we know that we can impact the people around us. So, as we leave here today and we go into the week, we can pray and ask God to speak to us through His Spirit and through His Word to show us where we need to grow, where our lives don't reflect the gospel message or don't reflect it well, Uh, where we need additional transformation in our lives so that we can represent God well and His news of salvation and the message of the gospel so that we can represent that well to the people around us. And we can pray for the people around us. These primary relationships that I hope you've been thinking about, but these primary relationships that we have in our life, especially the people that don't know the Lord, we can be praying for those people and looking for opportunities to show the gospel as well as for opportunities to tell the gospel. And we can pray that God will use... Our actions, and He will use our lives to prove that the gospel message is true. All right, let's pray. Lord, um, we thank you. We thank you for your salvation and the gospel, and that, and and for sending your Holy Spirit, Lord, to work in us to. To transform us. Uh, Lord, we thank You for for giving us faith to trust Your message is true. Lord, we pray that You would continue to work in our lives to sanctify us, that You would speak to us through Your Word, Lord, uh, Your Word that's living and active, and that we would see the areas in our lives where we need to change to better represent You. And Lord, we pray for the people around us that that they wouldn't see us if, if, if anything, they may, not agree, they may not agree with the things that we do, Lord, but Lord, we pray that we would be seen as people that are consistent and that live according to what we say we believe. Um, so, Lord, that you can, uh, you can use that in their lives to draw them to You. God, we pray for our friends and our family and our co-workers and all the people around us that don't know You, Lord. We pray um, that You would give us opportunities to share the gospel message in words and also, Lord, to share the gospel message in the way that we behave. These things we pray in your name. Amen.